0: This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We started a new series uh, a couple weeks ago, actually last week, right? Called, what? Habits of the Holy. Habits of the Holy, yes and uh, we're very excited about this series. We're looking at seven practices for a spirit-formed life. Seven practices or habits for a spirit-formed life. Our main text for the series is this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, and here's what it says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. How many of you were formerly ignorant? It's okay, we can all raise our hands together. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. My big idea for this entire series is simply this. God has called you and I to be holy. And this calling, of holiness brings about a work of grace in our life if we respond in faith and obedience, meaning if we actually put into practice some things that God wants us to do. How many of you guys know there's actually some things that God wants you to do? The Bible tells us that actually we have been saved by God for good works. God's not opposed to good works, but there's actually some good works that he has designed or predestined or preordained, however you wanna say it, for you to walk in. Whoa. For you to walk in. And so that means that there's some actual things that God wants us to do. And I believe that part of that doing is what we practice and what we give ourselves to by way of our habits. Everybody say habits. Habits are important. Habits define us. Habits are all about what you're becoming. And I stress this fact a couple weeks ago, that it's never a byproduct of our striving or a work of the flesh. It's always a work of the spirit that wants to help transform us to become more like Jesus and less like the world. As the people of God, this is our mandate. It's our destiny to be holy as he is holy. Now, for some of you, that word holy might feel like a heavy word. It might even feel like a little legalistic or, or a little obliga- obligatory. Obligatory. It might feel like there's some rules involved. It might feel like, right, it might feel a little religious. And I want to shatter that religious notion that holiness is this affair of the stuffy and the, the upright and the righteous and the perfect. Because the truth is none of us are perfect. All of us have stuff going on in our lives. All of us are a work in progress. Would you guys agree? Absolutely. I hope so. One of you was shaking your head, no, I'm perfect. All right, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's all of us and the mandate is to all of us as individuals and collectively as the body of Christ. For those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, it's not a charade. It's not a matter of pretending. Come on, that's not what Jesus wants. He wants us to be real. He wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be transformed. And how do we experience that transformation? Well, as I just said, by way of what we do. Our habits define who we become. So last week we started by looking at the habit of prayer and fasting and the importance of doing that both corporately and secretly. Corporately means as a church, we're praying and we're fasting together, right? Secretly means that you don't open up your Bible, take a shot of of your uh, picture, uh, take a picture of your coffee in your Bible and say, I'm in my secret place, right? It's you secretly leaning into God without anybody knowing about it. And so we do that corporately and secretly. By the way, how's everybody doing with their prayer and fasting? Good? You guys doing good with that? All right, good. So today I want to tackle a new habit, what I'm calling the habit of spirit and truth. The habit of spirit and truth. Uh, If I had a subtitle for this message, it would be this, being formed by God in word and spirit. Being formed by God in word and spirit. Now, as a church, one of our core values, one of our distinctives, one of the things that rallies us and centers us together is this, is being truth-formed and spirit-empowered. Truth-formed and spirit-empowered, meaning that we need both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Jesus, in addressing this issue within the, the realm or context of worship, says it this way in dealing with the Samaritan woman at the well. Some of you guys know this story. who have read John chapter four. It says this in verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, you might want to underline that, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Say it with me, spirit and truth. He says, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, never in scripture are we asked to choose between the spirit and the truth? Meaning, it's not either or, it's both and. And unfortunately, probably due to some bad interpretation or maybe the fear of things getting wild or reckless, many churches elevate one over the other. So you might find yourself in a church where the truth is esteemed and the spirit is suppressed, and you might find yourself in environments where the spirit is esteemed and the truth is suppressed. But I believe that it's both and. That's the picture that Jesus paints for us the spirit and the truth. I like this quote from John Piper. He says this but true worship comes from people who are both deeply committed to the spirit and their emotions and who also love deep and sound doctrine right? Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. I love that picture of bone and marrow. One animates, one gives life, and one strengthens and fortifies. One fills, and one presses. One supplies, and one applies. Spirit and truth, marrow and bone. It's pretty cool, Before I define what we here at Courageous Church actually mean when we say we wanna be truth-formed and spirit-empowered, I wanna tell you what I don't mean. Is that okay? Because I recognize that all of us come into today's talk with maybe different presuppositions about God, about the Holy Spirit, about the authority of his word. A lot of things shape what we bring into this message today. So here's what I wanna say I don't mean. I don't mean that the spirit and truth are ever in competition with one another. I don't mean that there is an invisible spectrum that these two exist on and it's a cosmic balancing act or seesaw. I certainly don't mean that we've somehow, as a church, figured out the right formula as if we've got it all figured out, right? We haven't, that's definitely not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, all of us are going to experience matters of the spirit and matters of the truth very differently. We're gonna experience them in different degrees, we're gonna experience them in different ways because we all bring our personal history, and our baggage, and our stories, and our life experiences into our life with Christ. Would you guys agree with that today? All of us look at life through different lenses. We've all had different experiences, some good, some bad, all right? So a lot of these things get addressed in very different ways when we talk about the spirit, we talk about the truth. So I don't want you guys to think that we're somehow saying that we're right, everybody else is wrong, no. Far from it. We're all growing together in our understanding and knowledge of the truth and of the spirit. Now, here's the cool part. Jesus promises to give us his spirit if we ask for it. Some of you are like, this sounds far out there. It doesn't have to be, and it doesn't need to be, because the spirit is the gift of God for your life, and his word is the gift of God for your life. So before I say anything else today, I want to say this. God's word and God's spirit are not Trophies, they're gifts. They're gifts. We don't pride ourselves in anything that's been given to us as a gift because A, we know we didn't deserve it, come on. And B, we also know that we could never earn it, amen? So there is, and there may be times throughout today's message where you might feel prompted in one particular area, and I want you to lean into that. It might just be God nudging you. I love God's nudges, by the way, they're subtle, they're subtle. And and it might be an area where God wants you to really pay attention, maybe grab a hold of things, maybe step out in faith and try some new things, amen? Okay, so what does it mean to be truth-formed and spirit-empowered? That's really what we're after today. Regarding the first category, being truth-formed, what we mean as a church when we say this is that we love truth, we believe the truth, and we practice the truth. We love the truth, we believe the truth, and we practice the truth. Jesus was famously asked by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, what is truth? What is truth, he said. And in a day and age like Jesus is in the first century, it's not all that unlike our own. It's very similar. Many people today have this question, what is truth? Can the truth even be known? Is it a matter of subjectivity? Or can the truth be actually known and understood objectively? In other words, does truth even exist? Jesus made an actual really interesting claim in John 14. We've been going through the Gospel of John as a church, and he said this in 14, verse six. I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father, no one has access to God, in other words, except through me. In making this claim, Jesus seems to express that truth actually can be known if, if, and that's a big if, if you accept Jesus, who is, by his own claim, the truth. Meaning, you and I can have a living, vibrant, real relationship with truth. I think that's awesome. What an invitation for you and I to step into a relationship with the person of truth, Jesus of Nazareth. This is why we're so passionate about Jesus at Craig's Church, because we believe that he is the truth. He's the full embodiment of all that is true. Now, you guys ever heard the saying that all truth is God's truth? All truth is God's truth, and I believe that, but not all truth is saving. I'll say it again. All truth is God's truth, but not all truth is saving. Let me give you an example. Two plus two is four. Would you guys agree with that statement that that's true? Okay, but that's not gonna save your life. That's not gonna save your soul. That's not gonna help your marriage unless you're both engineers or mathematicians. Then it might. (laughs) There's a big difference between what we might call saving truth or facts. There are many facts about our life that influence our decision making in the way that we see the world, isn't there? But only the truth, Jesus himself, can set you free. Jesus said, I am the truth, I am the way, and I am the life. No one else can come to the Father except through me. And if the Son sets you free, you are what? Free indeed. So there's a big difference between saving truth or a relationship with truth and facts. As much as I love science, science cannot save me. As much as I love math and physics, math and physics cannot save me. As much as I love philosophy, which I do, and psychology, which I do, those elements cannot save us. Only a relationship with the person of truth can save you, amen? And this is what I mean by loving the truth. We love Jesus here at Gracious Church. We're all about Jesus. It's one of our sayings. We're all about Jesus. We love the person of Jesus. We love the presence of Jesus. We love the ministry of Jesus. We love the works of Jesus. We love Jesus. John, speaking about the truth, said it this way, In John chapter one, verses one through three, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing that you see that's come into existence was made without the person of truth, Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. The word here for word is logos. It's the creative principle behind everything that's come into being. It's powerful when you step back. And John here is tying it to the reality that there's nothing that comes into our life that's good without Jesus first breathing on it. Jesus is the word of God. So when you love Jesus, who is truth, you begin to love his word. You begin to step into relationship with what is called the living word or the Logos of word. And that word of God is meant to reorient and reshape your life and transform you to look more and more like Jesus. As I said last week, we are being actively conformed from the image of the world into the image of the Son. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the destination. He's the source. He's the alpha. And he's the omega. He's the Logos. And nothing was made that was made without Jesus. So when you love Jesus, you accept this truth, which leads to it becoming more embodied in your own life. We want to be people of truth. We want to be people that love truth so that we can become people of truth. And this happens by way of what you actually believe about God's word. This is where you begin to take God at his word and accept his truth for your life. Now, when we say... That the Bible is the Word of God. This is what we mean. We mean it's inspired by God. Actually, we, the scriptures tell us that it's God breathed. That's God breathed and authoritative to speak into every matter of life and faith. In other words, it carries God's divine authority. He is the author, and therefore it carries his authority. And authority is an important issue in our culture right now. It's, it's an issue that some of us are, are rebelling against because we don't like the messenger. We don't like its form. We don't like it the way that it's been abused, right? We all agree with that. We don't like the way that it's been corrupted in some instances. But authority is critical. And it's something that many, I think, have been undermining without even realizing it, both within and, without, and outside of the church. Authority is this, and I'll define it for you. It's all about what you and I submit to. It's all about what we submit to and believe about the author. Your willingness to accept God's authority and his word as a final authority for your life is all about what you believe about the person who is the author of it, who's the source of it. So when we say that we believe the Bible is authoritative, this is what we mean. It carries his authority, which is why we wanna be people of the book, which is why we love our Bibles, which is why we give out free Bibles, amen? We want our lives to be built, and founded on the word of God, which is the foundation for our faith. What we believe is not just about the funny feelings and the warm fuzzies we get on Sunday. Come on, there's a lot of groups and a lot of religions and a lot of sects that I can point you in the direction of that'll help you experience some warm fuzzies. Now, we're people of substance, we're people of truth. Our lives are built on something that was here long before we got here, amen? For those of us for whom the Bible is new, I wanna challenge you this to allow the authority of what you read to speak in your life. So we wanna be formed by truth. We wanna accept and believe and submit our lives to the authority of his word. So if you love God, but you actually don't accept what he says in, your, or in his word, you're actually in conflict with the author. You're actually in conflict with him. And you're in conflict with yourself because he created you. He created us in his image to carry his authority to carry the, the divine imprint of heaven, right? He breathes into us just like he breathed into his word. So if you say you love God and you don't accept his word, you're in conflict and the result is you experience chaos and conflict and contradiction in your life. Some of you are like, I don't know why my life is a mess. I don't know why there's so much conflict and chaos and why things are so contradictory. It's because perhaps, maybe, You just might need to submit your life to his authority. So loving truth leads to believing truth, which then leads us to practice truth. James chapter one, the hallmark scripture on this says this in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do, everybody underline that, do what it says. Easier said than done, right? Do what it says, because anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like an idiot who looks at his face in a mirror, I'm sorry, like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. Immediately forgets what they look like. Here's what it says in verse 25, it goes on to say this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the word of God that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but actually, here it is again, doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Some of you are like, I don't know why God won't bless me, because you're not doing the word. You're not actually doing what God told you to do. It's real simple. Do what he says to do and you will be blessed and you will live. He did not meant for it to be complicated. Would you guys agree with that? So the opposite of being deceived and not doing the word is doing the word and being blessed by God. As a church, this is how we believe Jesus shapes our lives each and every day. To be holy as he is holy through the power of his word, through applying his word and Number two today, through the power of his spirit, Jesus wants us to be truth-formed and, like I said, spirit-empowered. We need both. Now, regarding the spirit, a couple years ago when we first launched as a church, I did a series on this called Come Holy Spirit, where I laid out kind of five to six different roles that the Holy Spirit occupies within our lives as followers of Jesus. You can actually go back and dig through our Spotify or Apple Music podcast to find it. But I want to say this. We believe that God wants every believer to be spirit-empowered. We, he believe, we believe that he wants every believer to be spirit-empowered, meaning he wants the Holy Spirit to operate both in us and to rest on us. In and on. In and on. What do I mean? Every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit the moment that they confess Jesus as Lord. The moment that you make that confession of faith, that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Messiah. You are born again. You are saved. And the Spirit comes to reside within your heart and life. I'm very thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Actually, listen to what Acts 2.38 says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We're thankful for the forgiveness that comes. And you will receive, here's the promise, every one of you who confess the name of Jesus, who repent and are baptized into the body of Christ, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise from God. God gives us that gift the moment we do this. Ezekiel actually prophesied that this would happen hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene. Listen to what Ezekiel says, verse, chapter 36, verse 27, and I will put my spirit in you, in you, and I'll move you to follow my decrees and help you to keep my laws. Paul goes on to expound on this in 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. He says, do you not know, people of God, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is where? In you, whom you have received from, God, it's the gift of God for all who call upon his name, for the Holy Spirit to come and make your heart his home, his favorite little dwelling place. That's a promise, and you can bank on that. But he also wants his Holy Spirit to come and rest on you. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, where, on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We know that the Holy Spirit comes in us for our sake, but he comes upon us for the sake of the ends of the earth, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the nations, for the sake of your friends and your neighbors and your family members who don't know Jesus yet. Come on, somebody. Remember, Jesus at this point in Acts one, verse eight, has already breathed on the, whole, on the disciples in John chapter 20. He breathes on the disciples after the resurrection and he says what? Receive my Holy Spirit. But then he says what? Now go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. In and on you. Say it with me. In and on. In and on. In and on. in." All right, I'm gonna stop. In and on. And you might say, yeah, okay, Pastor Jason, aren't you maybe, uh, you know, being a little... Uh, what's the word? A little particular about this. you kind of grasping at straws here. Well, listen, it's not a one and done event. It's not a one and done event. Otherwise, why would Jesus had breathed on them a one and done moment and then said, go wait for more? If it was one and done, he would have breathed on them and said, all right, see you later. Go. But he breathes on them to receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so that then they could go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on them. And I like what we see in Acts, because Acts is a great, Acts is, a, is an amazing book, and it, and it showcases what God does in the early days of the church, but here's what chapter 19, verses five through six says, and it's a great example of this. On hearing this, the people were baptized where? In, to the name of the Lord Jesus. But when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came where? On them. And the result was they ended up speaking in tongues and prophesying. Some of you are like, whoa, that's kind of scary. It really isn't. It's the presence and manifestation of the Holy Spirit in them and on them to do this. So the Spirit wants to reside in us and rest on us. He wants to reside in us and rest on us. He wants to reside in us and rest on us. And that's what we mean by being Spirit-empowered. Spirit-empowered we mean being fully animated and made fully alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who fills us and leads us and guides us into all truth. Jesus says, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's gonna lead you and he's gonna guide you into all truth. Why, Pastor Jason, I thought God's word was truth. It is, meaning they're gonna work hand in glove. They're going to be in concert together, the spirit and the truth working together, the spirit leading you into more truth. Some people are like, oh, but if I receive the Holy Spirit, it's going to make me weird. No, it's not. It's going to actually take you to the truth. That's why when some people claim they have the Holy Spirit and their lives just get funky and weird, I'm like, that ain't the spirit. That's the flesh. That's you seeking an encounter and an experience outside of God. But if you actually begin to receive the Holy Spirit, that spirit will drive you to drill down and dig down deeper with Jesus than you ever have before. And your life will become more founded in his truth where the word of God begins to transform you. This is what this is what we mean by having our minds renewed each and every day by the washing of the word, by truth, becoming more and more like Jesus so the gift of the Spirit isn't to freak you out and freak out your neighbors and make you fall on the ground and, do, and froth at the mouth and do all kinds of crazy things like you've probably seen on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> the Spirit of God is meant to lead you into truth. And I love that, which means that we can trust the Spirit. We can trust the work of the Spirit. Once again, it's the Spirit and truth working in concert together because they're not opposed to each other. They complement one another. And it's a beautiful thing. In the same way God wants all of us to be full of his spirit and full of truth, he wants us, like Jesus said, to worship him in spirit and truth. See, the person that he was saying that to was hung up about where they were whether or not they qualified, whether or not they deserved it, whether or not they were ethnically pure enough, being a Samaritan instead of a Jew, right? All the strife and the ethnic confusion and the racism and all the stuff that was going on then is still going on today. But if you and I would be willing to say yes to Jesus and yes to his Holy Spirit, he'll cause his Holy Spirit to come reside within you. And then if you'd be willing to wait for it, he'd cause his Holy Spirit to come rest upon you so that you have power to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Being a witness is somebody who testifies to something they've seen and heard and experienced. And for for many of us, we're, we're witnesses to something that we haven't yet experienced. And my heart as a pastor, and for those of you that would give me the opportunity to be as a curator and spirit guide for you as you step into truth and as you invite the Holy Spirit to come, is that you would experience this reality more and more each and every day of your life. You're gonna have good days, you're gonna have bad days like all of us do, amen, right? How many are thankful that the spirit doesn't leave you on your worst day? I'm thankful. This guy's thankful. You're all thankful. I see some of you nudging your husband or wife right now. Like, yeah, I'm really thankful. <laughs> he doesn't leave you when you screw up. He doesn't, he doesn't play peekaboo with you on your worst day. Come on, he's with you even on your worst day. The Bible does tell us the spirit can be grieved, right? He, he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. Which means he has feelings, which means he, being, he can be grieved and he, he can mourn. and He can be moved, right? Just like you and I are when we experience life. But he wants to guide you into all truth. He wants to form you, shape your heart, and give you power to do things that you can't do without the spirit. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said to his disciples, listen, guys, I'm going to go away for a little while. Don't worry, I'm coming back at the end of the age. I'm gonna take off for a little while. But it's actually good that I do so, because if I leave, I can send the Holy Spirit to you. I can send you what he calls a helper, an advocate. The Greek word is parakletos. It means the one who comes alongside to finish the work of. The Holy Spirit was sent to empower us to finish the work of Jesus, right? to make disciples of all nations, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And until that work is done, come on, we have a mission. We have a job to do. Part of my job is to help equip you to do your job in the sphere of, of life that God has placed you. So whether you're at the University of Utah right now, or you're taking a semester off, or you're at your job, or you're working, or you're placed in a unique position, with a friend or a family member. Come on, God has has anointed you and he's equipped you and he wants to empower you to be his witness, to tell his story. That's what we mean by the gospel. It's the good news of God for all who believe. And you can't do that on your own strength. Can I tell you guys something? I've tried. I've tried to minister in my own strength. I've tried to witness in my own strength. I've tried to share good news in my own strength and it always falls flat. It doesn't work. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's gonna give you words to say. For some of you, he's going to give you words of knowledge about people. He's going to help you know things that you shouldn't know. He's going to come upon your life in such a way that's going to give you access to him in ways that you could only dream about. How do I know this? Because I've experienced it. Because I've tasted and I've seen how good God is. The Bible says that he's a giver of good gifts. God doesn't want to withhold things from you. He wants to give you more power, more strength, more of who he is. He says, he's not like your fathers who are evil, even them, Jesus says, know how to give some pretty decent gifts. But how much more so our Father in heaven, who is not evil but good, wants to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit if you would ask for it. So my simple encouragement for some of you today is like, I'm down with Jesus, I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing, what do I do? He ask. He asks for the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, anybody that asks will be given. That's a promise. And if you're like, but I've been asking, I haven't experienced it yet, keep asking. All right, keep asking. And you might go, Well, this works different in my life than the way I've seen it happen in other lives. Cool, awesome, because you're different. God wired you different. You have different gifts from God, you have different things from God that only you can express. So keep asking, keep pressing in, keep leaning in. Keep trusting that the work that He began in you, He will finish. And how's He gonna finish it? Through the power of His Word and through the power of His Spirit when we trust Him and dig down deep with Jesus. And that's been our our visionary statement for this year as a church. We're digging deep with Jesus. We're going deeper than we have ever have before. We're gonna trust him more. We're gonna step out in faith more. We're gonna get a little more audacious with our prayer life. For those of you that are content with the measure of faith that God's given you, ask for more. For those of you that are content with the measure of the Holy Spirit and the way that you've experienced him, ask for more. There's more available for us. He's a giver of multiple gifts, plural. He wants to give us more you guys believe that today? I'm gonna ask Jen to come as we get ready to close this morning. And then I just wanna pray just some, some simple prayers over your life like the apostle prayed over his church. God wants us full of his spirit. He wants us full of his truth. He wants us to walk in a relationship with Jesus who is the personification of truth, of all that is true. He wants us to know the power of his spirit in our life. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for today. Do you guys receive that this morning? So let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your church. I thank you for every guest here today. Maybe there are people here that are watching this online or here that don't know you, God. I, I just pray that you'd reveal yourself to them the way that you've revealed yourself to me and to millions upon millions of other followers of Christ. Lord, it's it's not enough for us to follow you in our own strength. We know that when we do that, we fail, we come up short. So we need your Holy Spirit. For those that are here today that don't know the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd fill them, that they would be filled like Paul prayed in Ephesians 5 when he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled each and every day, not as a one and done event, but as an ongoing reality. Lord, fill them today with more and more of your spirit pour it out upon them. Come rest on them so they can be your witnesses in all the earth. And for those, Lord God, that maybe love the Spirit, but their lives are maybe a little wonky, Lord, center them and root them in truth. Help them to be guided by the mind of Christ and rooted in your word, to love your word, to believe your word, to practice your word, Lord, to be a people of of truth. And Lord, for us as a community, God, as a faith community, in a place that has known so much deception and that has experienced so many different lies and manifestations of evil, God, would you help us to be a people that are rooted in truth, who love the Spirit? God, we want to love the things you love, and you love your word. You give us your word as a gift, so may we receive that today in Jesus' name. And because you love us, you give us your Holy Spirit, so may we receive the gift of your Holy Spirit today.